Welcome back, baseball fans, to the Rounding Third podcast. Uh, I'm not sure I like that. Welcome back, baseball fans. Rounding Third, the baseball podcast. We have some exciting stuff we want to touch on today, including the AL MVP race uh, and kind of a deep dive into the topic of the Hall of Fame. Um, as for updates currently in baseball, as we talked about in last episode, which we hope you enjoyed, and we're taking all feedback and suggestions off that, rolling that into the future. But as we discussed in that last episode, MLB is currently in a lockout until the collective bargaining agreement is signed between ownership and the Players Association. There really will be no baseball-related activities. Now, what I will lead off that by saying is, in the last week, Justin Verlander did sign a contract. I know instantly that sounds at odds with the lockout statement, um, but let me explain the process, tell you the contract, and Max, I'd love to grab your feedback on it. So the reason this deal was just signed is that the Houston Astros were negotiating with Justin Verlander, um, and the agreement was reached a month ago before the expiration of the bargaining agreement. Uh, pending, no holdups on the physical. So essentially all that really happened in this off-season period of the lockout was that he got the physical, everything was cleared, and the paperwork was submitted to confirm that deal. That deal being a two-year, $50 million agreement between Justin Verlander to stay with the Houston Astros. Um, real quick, let me give you some context. Uh, and then Max, I, I got to hear your take on this. This is kind of an interesting one to me. Justin Verlander is 37 as of right now, and he is the ace, I would say, definitely the ace of the Houston Astros, but he had coming off of Tommy John uh, last year, which occurred six, he pitched six innings in 2020, so pretty early on Tommy John. He should be all clear to pitch the full season. His last time pitching was 2019, which he had a great year, went 21-6, and six, which 21 wins led the league. Uh, he had a 2.58 ERA, pitched 223 innings, 0.8 whip. Uh, so that's just really, really good stuff. Max, what do you think of the deal? Yeah, I, I think, first of all, uh, nice to be back for episode two. I love the intro, uh, James. Well done. Um, I think there's there's a few things to this. One, I think it's a great signing for the Astros. Um, I think Justin Verlander kind of speaks for himself. He's an incredible pitcher. Um, and we'll see how that team pans out. I know we still have Carlos Correa um, up, in, up in the air. But, I mean, they still have a great lineup. I'm sure they'll be um, competing in the AL West. But you're talking about a four-time Cy Young winner. Even though he's 38, we kind of touched on something like this last week with Scherzer, who is, is also in those upper 30s. but I think nowadays these pitchers are able to maintain their health very well and still perform at an exceedingly high level, especially these top guys like Scherzer, Verlander, DeGrom. So I fully expect Verlander to have a great year. Um, maybe there's some question marks about Tommy John and how he comes back from that. But I don't know. I, I fully expect Verlander to be the number one pitcher on the Houston Astros and probably lead them to another AOS title. But now let's just real quick going off that. And I know we talked a lot about this with Scherzer. Do you think the big difference here, you have older ace, great type pitchers. Do you think the difference in that value of their contract and Scherzer's being over double 
just comes from that Tommy John, that uncertainty that teams don't know if he can finish 200 innings. I definitely think that might be part of it, but I also would say, I, I do think that's a big part of it, right? There's a lot of question marks around his Tommy John. I will also say to Scherzer, one, the Mets have been throwing money everywhere that he might have just, you know, gotten a situation where he was able to get such a huge contract. Two, the, dude is, the dude's been on fire. I mean, he won the World Series in 2019. He came off an amazing year last year with the Nationals and then the Dodgers. Um, he's showing no signs of regressing. So I think his performance is just still at a top, top level. We'll see how Verlander, you know, plays next year. But I, I think it's a combination of a matter of circumstance and just the, the injury situation. Well, that's a great take. Last thing I want to say about this, just derogatory, I have to get it out of the way. If by some miracle Justin Verlander is hearing this, shame on you for not alerting MLB and your fellow pitchers as to the atrocities that were being committed by Houston for those three years. And that's me off my soapbox. You know, I think next week we – or maybe not next week, but we got to do a front-to-back cover story of the Houston Astros cheating scandal. I think, I, I think a lot of people know about it on the surface, but we should give a full breakdown about it. I'll tell you, that's one that will get me fiery. That would be a conversation you would not want to miss. All right, how about another quick-hitting news story real quick um, before we get into our main topics. The New York Mets, uh, speaking of Max Scherzer, just signed a brand-new manager, uh, managerial legend, I guess you could say, Buck Showalter, uh, just became the new manager of the New York Mets. Owner Steve Cohen announced Saturday on Twitter. Showalter received a three-year contract. Uh, he's 65 years old. He's taking over for Luis Rojas, who was fired after um, a season in which the team was in first place for most of the year, but finished 77 and 85 and missed the playoffs. Um, I think this is a great signing for them. It's who Scherzer wanted. It's who they wanted as a team. He's um, He's been in the league for, for a long time. He has 20 years of managerial experience, most recently being in Baltimore from 2010 to 2018. Um, and, I, I mean, Baltimore has been known for not always being the great team, but, but from 2010 to 2018, he led the Orioles to three playoff appearances, a division title, and a berth in the 2014 ALCS, where they lost the eventual World Series champion Kansas City Royals. He's won American League, major, American League Manager of the Year during stints with the Yankees, Rangers, and the Orioles. He also managed the Diamondbacks and has a career record over 500 of 15-51 and 15-17. So he's got a lot of experience. The one thing I'll say is he's never been to the World Series. He's never won a World Series. And the year after he left the Yankees and the year after he left the Diamondbacks, both those teams won a World Series. Um, we'll see. I mean, they wanted this guy. They got him. I think he brings a lot of experience to a team that probably needs more direction. And, you know, the Mets are, the Mets are really going for it. They're, they're, they're getting all the guys they want. They're, they're going to make a push. You know, I, the first question I have to ask is, is this long ball baseball? Are they looking at that sat knowing they can get done with Buck, fire him, and win a World Series? Do you think that at all is in play here? <laughs> yeah, just, just hire him for the three years. Let him do his thing. He leaves. World Series is on lock at that point. Perfect. I mean, that, that's uh, chess over checkers there from Steve Cohen, which, by the way, what I really want to talk about most with this, what made this hilarious to me, is this is how – let me read this. This is how the world found out about this. This is a deal that the Mets openly were trying to pursue over the last course of a month. 
1.44 p.m., December 18th, uh, 2021, which is Saturday. <clears throat> Today we are recording. Steve Cohen tweets, I'm pleased to announce Buck Showalter as the new manager of the New York Mets. Just very funny. If you don't know Steve Cohen, he's the Mets owner. Uh, but really what makes it great is this isn't a team account. It's not a baseball insider reporter. Not, you know, just the owner. I'm very pleased to announce this. I don't know why. I thought that tweet is just hilarious. Yeah, it is funny. Steve Cohen's kind of an interesting guy, but um, I think this is great for the Mets. They got the guy they wanted. We'll see how it plays out. And also, last point I'll add is Scherzer was openly saying Buck Showalter was the guy they wanted, was the guy he wanted. So that exactly. was also a fate for that. We'll see play how it plays out. It's definitely a story we'll follow um, during the season, kind of see how that team Maps together, new managerial staff, new new um, new pitching. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. Um, and I'll let let me uh, get through the news, and I'm going to take us into our first topic, Let's which has to be the greatest race that was never a race. I think that's the best way to phrase this. I like, and what I'm I like talking about, it, it's the AL MVP race from this 2021 that just concluded. Of course, we had a unanimous winner, received every single vote, Shohei Otani, beating who I think everyone would say, clearly number two, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Max, take it from there, but wow. Yeah, this is, this is really pretty amazing. Um, I mean, Shohei Otani speaks for himself. Um, for, for those people who don't follow baseball as closely, let me kind of break down Shohei Otani for you. Um, he is basically an ace pitcher right that's 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 fair to say and he also was one home run shy of leading the league in home runs you want to jump in here chief i see, see I just, yeah i just want to make sure for uh, our baseball fans an ace is the best pitcher on your roster that is your go-to guy we need to win this game game 162 to make the playoffs this is our guy and right. he was that guy he was very much that guy for the los angeles angels who we talked about last episode needing the help. He had a 3.18 ERA through 156 Ks. If you're not too familiar with pitching stats, that is going to pit him at the very top extremity. Um, not, you know, the best, but definitely in the category of the best arm on his team. And of course, as you said, and what he could do at the plate, a hundred RBIs. Yeah. Uh, he had a 0.965 on base plus slugging. I mean, just, the guy was a menace in the box. He was a menace on the mound. And the last time we saw that was Babe Ruth, 100 yeah. years ago. I mean, it's exciting. It's just exciting for baseball. This guy's an animal. Exactly. Shohei Otani, who's the pitcher in DH for the Los Angeles Angels, that had 257, 46 home runs, 100 RBIs, 965 OPS, which, like you said, OPS stands for on-base percentage plus slugging percentage which is kind of a complicated stat, but if you're around one, it's very good. Um, and also on the mound, he had a 3.18 ERA, 156 Ks. And anytime he wasn't pitching, he DH'd. Um, and he was, like you said, a unanimous winner. So that's the 11th time this has happened in the American League. It's happened seven times in the National League. Um, but I think the, the craziest thing about this is he was a unanimous winner. He clearly was the MVP, but if he wasn't there, the second place player, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's super young guy, son of Vladimir Guerrero, the MLB legend, Vlad Jr. will be a runaway AL MVP. 
let me break it down. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. played 161 out of 162 games, laid, led all of the major leagues in runs scored, home runs, and total bases, led the AL in on-base percentage, slugging percentage, and OPS, and had a 311 batting average. And he w- didn't even receive one vote for AL MVP. That is just but- how good Shohei Otani is. And he racked up the accolades. He won, uh, like, MLB's honorary award, like lifetime achievement award, uh, runaway LMVP. I mean, the, the dude's incredible. The, the thing I want to stick in there for Vlad Jr. is you read that stat line, uh, and just how incredible. I mean, to, to the guy. And, and let me just talk about that story real quick. And that's okay. You know, he's coming from his dad. You could see all the videos. This guy was in the minors hitting just nukes. I'm talking five, literally 500 feet home runs in double A. I mean, it was just crazy to watch. Then he comes up last year, uh, meaning the 2020 season. You don't really see much out of him. He, he's not bad, but you're like, okay, I thought this guy's going to be great. He answers this season. He couldn't have answered better. And I just want to point out, he's 22 years old. He is actually younger than me. Uh, and that fact is kind of hard to stomach, and he's doing all this. I, I just, the craziest part to me is how good he was, and it just it, it was nothing compared to Shohei. I mean, Shohei is an absolute unicorn in baseball. Unbelievable performance this year, and to, to really totally outshine a 22-year-old leading all of majors in all of these um, hitting stats is, is really incredible. Um, and I want to touch quickly on, you know, what the expectations were kind of going into the season because Shohei, I, obviously he was known, he, he was known as a, this two-way player who could pitch and bat extremely well, but he's dealt with a lot of injury issues while he was on the Angels. And he came from the Japanese leagues where he was incredible and then was signed by the Angels. But he wasn't necessarily expected to win MVP this year. He was towards the top, but... At the top of the list, preseason odds, you had Aaron Judge at plus 1,200, Jose Ramirez at plus 1,200, Vlad Jr. at plus 2,500, Devers, Rafael Devers at plus 3,000, and then you had Shohei at plus 3,300. And you can kind of track how the odds changed throughout the season. And almost immediately, uh, Shohei dropped down to about plus 2,350, plus 1,450 in April, plus 1,100, plus 1,000. And it was around the the June to July timeframe where both Vlad Jr. and Shohei were the runaway favorites for MVP. They were both plus 150, plus 100, minus 100, and they just flipped spots back and forth, back and forth. And then towards the end of the season, in end of August, early September, Shohei ran away with it. He was minus 6,000 to win AL MVP, and he was the clear winner by the end. Or freeze of- for those of you who don't really know betting, a 6,000-point favorite means if you placed a $6,000 bet on Otani to win it at the end, you would get $100 profit. Um, so that, that is a ridiculously lock. You know, that's like wake up, the sky's blue, um, what you're talking. But what blows me away is, and I think the title that I gave to this, of the greatest race that wasn't a race. I mean, you had Vlad, Vlad Jr. pit up this, I mean, career year. This is a kind – you have a year like this, you don't forget it. This is a better year than 99% of MLB has ever had. Uh, And you're doing all that 22 years old and don't get a single MVP vote. Now, finding a situation, if you went back through the history of the votes, 
where you had a player have a year of that caliber and not see a vote, I don't think it's ever happened. I, yeah, I love what you're saying, best race that never was, because it is like these absolute stars who are leading the race, but, but it doesn't even matter. Shohei, I mean, the accolades that he racked up just throughout the season and at the end of the season speak for himself or speak for themselves. I mean, he led off in the All-Star game at batting and was the starting pitcher. Um, and, and he's won all these Lifetime Achievement Awards, these Commissioner Awards. Um, he's, he's remarkable. And I, I love the phrase, best race that never was. You know, and I think also we can talk about the stats and the awards, but, man, just watching him, you flip on a game Sunday Night Baseball and see the Angels – you realize, oh, my God, it is so valuable to have that. I mean, it's like Little League again where your pitcher generally is your best hitter. I mean, you're, that's where you pick your best. And, and so it, it's just nuts to see and he, he's such a good player, not to mention he's an incredibly fast player. I think he had around 20, 25, 30 stolen bags. And let super the NFL be in triples. And let's not also forget, sometimes he primarily DHs, but every once in a while he'd play that outfield, and that was crazy to see. Um, so I love it on my MLB The Show Dynasty team. He's my left fielder. He's a savage. Um, but Vlad Jr. is also on the team. Tells you how, both, how good both of those guys are. And so people understand this was for sure one of the greatest seasons by an individual player in the history of baseball. There's no question about it. And, for, and, and he's, he's just such a funny guy. I mean, he always has a smile on his face. He's always joking around. He, he barely speaks English. He always has this the Japanese translator next to him on mound visits and everything like that. But he must be so fun to play with and so fun to be, be on a team with. You know, so just building off the accolades in the race, I, I want to focus real quick on their teams and what this means. And, you know, once again, we did it last week, but I don't think there's ever enough shit given to the Angels for what they're doing. Now you have this unicorn – and Mike Trout going the long run, and they were fourth in the American League last year. Now, to be fair, Mike Trout was out with injury roughly 90% of the year, did not really play. But, man, when you have these two guys going at this rate together, if they cannot find a way to get into the playoffs, it is a disgrace to baseball fans. Step it up, Angels. And we talked about Noah Syndergaard last week, their, their new pitching signing. Um, We'll, we'll see how they do. It's interesting. I would love to see a Shohei versus Trout AL MVP race next year. That would be pretty fun to watch. Two guys on the same team battling it out. Um, but speaking of um, kind of like next year perception, uh, Shohei is the favorite to win. He's plus 150. So you, you make an $100 bet, you'd win $150. Um, he is the favorite. Vlad Jr. is right behind him at plus 250. And then you kind of have similar names. You have Judge plus 450, Jose Ramirez on the Cleveland Guardians at plus 650, Devers plus 750. Um, and we'll see Trout. I didn't see Trout on this list, but I, I, it's going to be a fun year. I, I hope Shohei stays healthy. I hope he's able to keep this performance up. You know, and I'll, I'll also say about that, I'm by no means an Aaron Judge hater, but we got to chill with putting him at the top of these lists. I don't know where this is coming from. Aaron Judge is obviously a big <laughs> bat to have in your lineup. But, like, I'll be honest, I'm not like, oh, Aaron Judge is up. You know, everyone's trapped in. This is gone. This isn't Barry Bonds. It's Aaron Judge. So, I don't know. I just think we got to cool down on him a little bit. 
Yeah, I, I do think he has a lot of hype. I mean, he hit some bombs, and he's, you know, a pretty good outfielder, but I agree. You know, I, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Well, I think that uh, – and another thing I'd say, we talked on what it means for the Angels, but for Toronto, and we said this uh, last episode, we talking about them signing Robbie Ray. Um, Gossman, Gossman. Or Go- Gossman, yeah, sorry. Not Robbie Ray. Uh, Kevin Gossman. That, that's going to be – really the pitching that can help round them out with Ryu, but, and their bats are so legitimate and they lost Simeon, but it's looks to, I mean, Vlad Jr. is a guy you build a team around, clearly a franchise guy. Bo Bichette's looking like another great young star that's going to rise with him. A lot of good role players here and there throughout the field. It's, I think Toronto may be able to sneak in the playoffs. I think they, I think for sure. I, I mean, the AL, the AL East is tough, but I mean, they have a great team. Obviously you're competing with the Yankees and Red Sox who we touched on last week and the Tampa Bay Rays who are always good um, or have been good recently. It's a tough division, but, but we'll see what happens. Um, it'll definitely be something we will make sure to have a tracker on, on both the AL and NL MVPs throughout the season, kind of keep everybody up to date with who's playing well, who's leading the race and so on. And so I think that covers it for that first topic. Um, James, if it's all right with you, I'll go ahead and kick off our discussion of the MLB Hall of Fame. Let's get into it. If, uh, MVP in one year is an honor, which it certainly is, the Hall of Fame is undeniable. I'll give some high-level kind of overview about the, how, how the Hall of Fame voting is done. And then, James, I'll give it to you to kind of talk about Cooperstown and how difficult it is to get in. Um, so that MLB Hall of Fame is – the voting consists of a group of 401 baseball voters and writers um, who vote to up to 10 players off of a ballot that's sent out every 25 to 40 years – or of 25 to 40 players – Um, And in order to get into the Hall of Fame, you need to have your name on 75% of the ballots. And once you're eligible to be a player um, on the ballot, then there are certain requirements. You have to be out of the league for a certain number of years. You have to have played a certain number of years. But once your name's on the ballot, you have 10 years to, to get in. You get 10 years of voting to get in before your name is then pushed to this new group called the Veterans Committee. Which, which we'll touch on, but it's basically a 16-person panel combined with Hall of Famers, team officials, and historians. And so if your name does not get selected to be on the Hall of Fame, you're not on 75% of the ballots, then your admission into the Hall of Fame is then up to this Veterans Committee. And this is very relevant to what happened this year, which James will touch on. Um, but so yeah, you have 10 years to get in. Uh, and the Veterans Committee votes on managers, umpires, executives, and these players who didn't get in um, after 10 years. James, do you want to talk a little bit about? Yeah. Um, let me, before I get in that, just round out by saying, so the Veterans Committee, they actually have broken up into different eras just because they really wanted the Veterans Committee to have voices that understand the game and the time period to kind of quantify and make sure they didn't miss any selections. So you have the early baseball committee, um, and so the Veterans Committee is all of these collectively, but you vote on your assigned one. Early baseball is from 1871 to 1949, and that committee meets once per decade to discuss. The Golden Days Committee, which is 1950 to 1969, that committee meets once every five years. You have modern baseball, 1970 to 1987, 
and today's game, 1988 to present. And both modern baseball and today's game, they meet twice every five years. So that kind of gives you uh, a look at what happens after you get through the standard process, your 10 years, you're not picked. Those are the veterans committee you're sent to. Uh, and now just about the Baseball Hall of Fame, because Hall of Fame can, all sports have it, but it can mean so many different things. Um, and I think it's a unanimous um, opinion across sports that Baseball Hall of Fame is certainly the hardest to get into. Um, it, there are some incredible players that do not make the cut. To get into the Baseball Hall of Fame, you, I would say more or less, you had to be a top five player in the league at some point in your career to even sniff it um, because it, it's just so competitive. You have incredible players not make it. Um, and then you have incredible players not make it for other reasons, which is something that we're actually going to make a segment here on the podcast discussing. But some of those players that didn't get it because of a PED allegation or a gambling or circumstances outside a baseball field, I should say. Um, but, but that makes the Baseball Hall of Fame so special because they, they don't induct many people. And it's such a tight new group of people. But when you get into the Hall of Fame, you've really – you have defined yourself. And the Baseball Hall of Fame is located in Cooperstown, New York. So a lot of people just refer to it as Cooperstown. Uh, in general, just the Hall of Fame. And it, it's an incredible honor. And there's only a few players now that I would say are guarantees to get in that will be voted coming up. But we'll hit that, uh, hit that later. Yeah, so, so real quick, let me list the players who got in because of the writers this year. Okay, that's the full list. Nobody got in this year because nobody reached the 75% mark. You have a lot, and this is very interesting. So you have a lot of notable names on this Hall of Fame list. Nobody was got in by the Writers Association um, or the writers, you know, the, the main votes. The notable people you have are Kurt Schilling, who it's his ninth time on the ballot, and he was just shy, finished with 71.1%. So when I say it's his ninth time on the ballot, that obviously implies that he only has one more year to, to actually get in. Barry Bonds, his ninth time on the ballot, came up short at 61.8%. And obviously there are reasons a lot, of, both Kurt Schilling, Barry Bonds, and this next player, Roger Clemens, who it's also his ninth time on the ballot, he came up short at 61.1% of the vote. All three of those players, probably from a pure baseball standpoint, the stats that they put up, the ability, I mean, Barry Bonds won the MVP seven times. Um, they all aren't getting in for mainly allegations of PEDs or weird things they've done post-baseball that kind of turns people away. Um, but those are the three main guys competing. After that, you have Scott Rowland, who this was only his fourth time on. He got 52.9. Manny Ramirez, his fifth time on, he got 28.2. And then Sammy Sosa, this was his ninth time. So he also only has one time. And he only got 17%, so it doesn't look like he'll get up there. But it's very interesting to see Schilling, Bonds, and Clemens at the top all coming up short once again with only one year left. And I want to be incredibly clear. These guys, all three at the top of this list, are no doubt Hall of Famers. Barry Bonds is going to go down as probably a top five baseball player of all time. I mean, he was – a menace. If you want to talk about takeover, that guy owned the sport of baseball. All-time home run leader. I mean, I, th I think it's a shame 
that, you know, we'll talk about more specifically the situation, but yes, those things happen in the allegations. And I think that's something you touch on the plaque in Cooperstown. I think it's an absolute sin to have players of this caliber not represented in your Hall of Fame. So it seems like you're kind of able to look past some of these things and be like, yes, they happened. Yes, they got caught, but they still deserve to be in. That's kind of where you stand. Well, I think let's look at particularly Barry Bond's situation. Um, now, off the top of my head, it is my uh, knowledge up to this experience that he never actually was caught with a hot test during MLB season. Now, to go along with that, there also is proof that he did use PEDs. But essentially what I'm saying, if this man was shooting up steroids, let's say the end result of that is that he can hit a baseball 25 feet further. Right. Take out every home run that – you know, subtract so at 25 feet, does it go the distance? He's still one of the best power hitters in baseball, one of the best players in it. it, it it's just – it just doesn't seem right to me that you can have one of the best in your sport not represented in your Hall of Fame. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, it, it, there, it, there's a lot to unpack on this topic. We could do, like, a whole episode about Barry Bonds. Um, in, in all of these players, Kurt Schilling and Roger Clemens have won Cy Youngs. They're amazing pitchers. Uh, Kurt Schilling's – you know, he's a little interesting because he kind of gets a bad rap for his political stances and kind of these things he says and tweets out where he is basically a conspiracy theorist and posts a lot of kind of harming things and, and stuff like that. So maybe people are – and we'll do a whole segment on Kurt Schilling. We'll do a whole segment on Barry Bonds. But it is, it is interesting to see those players. They have one more time on the ballot, one more chance. You know, Kurt Schilling went up from 70% to 71% this year. We'll see if he can make the push. I don't think Barry Bonds and Clemens are going to get in. Um, and kind of on the same vein, looking at who's coming on the ballot next year, um, among other players who I'll list, but A-Rod, who is kind of falling in the similar boat as these Barry Bonds-type figures of, you know, noted PED use, um, I don't expect him to get in either. I don't expect A-Rod to get in. Um, if if A-Rod gets in and Barry Bonds doesn't, I'm done with Cooperstown. I want that <laughs> on the record. Real quick, with A-Rod, though, you also have Big Poppy, David Ortiz, you Mark Teixeira, Ryan Howard, Prince Fielder, Tim Lincecum, Carl Crawford, Jimmy Rollins, all, all kind of players that we grew up watching. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, over the next five, 10 years, how many of these players end up getting in, if any of them get in on their first try, which I kind of expect David Ortiz to, um, but we'll see. We'll see. I think looking at that list, I think if anyone were to do it in one shot, it's David Ortiz. Uh, then I think the rest, I think Prince Fielder makes it. Yeah, I think he'll that, make that it. Maybe it. Yeah, I think, I think Prince Fielder, when you look at his career holistically by his fifth or sixth vote in, they won't be able to deny him. Um, that may be it, and I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you got Mark Teixeira, Ryan Howard, who you know won World Series with the Yankees and Phillies, respectively. But we'll see. How, what, so, so like we said, nobody got in this year from the Writers Association. What about the Veterans Committee? Talk to us about that a little. So, yeah, let me just say the Veterans Committee was was very active um, and actually made sure, in light of us getting a Hall of Fame inductee class of no one from the Writers, they made the shut to step up and make sure that we could. So let me read off those names selected. Gil Hodges, 
Jim Cat, Minnie Minoso, Tony Olivia, Buck O'Neill, all of them, Hall of Famers, welcome to Cooperstown, proud of you. There's no difference in the honor. Um, if you're voted in, you're voted in, you're, you're all going to Cooperstown. So, you know, I'm actually not too familiar with that list, although I will say Gil Hodges uh, has a special place in my heart, uh, that being a regular in the lineup for the 1955 Brooklyn Dodgers playing alongside the Jackie Robinson and winning a World Series. So he now is the fifth Brooklyn Dodger everyday player from that 55 team in the Hall of Fame, which is kind of crazy. They're, they are going on a tear, but, you know, that team, so historical that and incredible that that's what it is. Yeah, it's interesting how they do it with the whole veterans committee because it's, it's not, you know, tip, obviously kind of Hall of Fames are done kind of differently in each major sport. But I, I like how baseball does it kind of. I, I think it's kind of interesting how you get 10 years of eligibility before you fall off and then you're kind of thrown into this other group of, of players and um, with the umpires and executives and these other people who um, may or may not be deserving of getting in. It's, it's kind of interesting how even though your, your, your chance to get in from the writers expires, you still have kind of this alternate way in this kind of weird committee that meets uh these irregular times i don't know it's, it's kind of interesting yeah uh, and, and the one thing i also would like to add just for some background um on these historic editions both bud fowler and buck o'neill played majority of their time in the negro leagues and i just think it's a really positive thing that mlb is starting to go and baseball as a whole to look back and evaluate that time and, and equate it to what it should be in, in that professional circuit and get those players that so deservedly to be in the hall. And I know we'll have um, some segments and future content talking about that because it, it was really incredible. Um, and the Negro Leagues were so important to the history of baseball and this country. Yeah, that's kind of a new development in the MLB. Only recently they started adding some of the records from these leagues into uh, basically MLB archives. Um, and adding some of these famous players into to Cooperstown. It, it's really a good thing they've done because the league really revolutionized a lot of baseball, and you got a lot of top, top, top players from from those leagues who were only disallowed from the major leagues because of their race. So they absolutely deserve to be, um, be included in these record stats or Hall of Fame or whatever it may be. And recognize, and of course, I mean, you really want Cooperstown to be the Hall of Fame of baseball. And, you know, that's not complete without these guys. You can't tell the story of baseball without the Negro Leagues and these players. So congratulations to all of those players for uh, joining Cooperstown. Definitely. I think that gives a good kind of high level uh, of the Hall of Fame and where it is, what it is, and how it kind of wrapped up this year. I, th I think it was a good quick overview. Um, Hopefully, hopefully you guys enjoyed that that little segment. Uh, anything else from you, James? I think that's all that I have on the Hall of Fame. Just knowing we're going to have a lot of individual coverage on it because there's so much to talk about. And I'll tell you, particularly, we want to focus on the controversies of the Hall of Fame because that's where the fun happens. Um, and I know my take is it's not really out, uh, you know, out there, but it mirrors kind of what I said earlier. I think you want to grab. The baseball history and figure the rest out within that 
Yeah, and, and he's a little bit of a teaser for an upcoming segment, but we are going to have kind of the, the baddest boys in baseball uh, segment coming in the future where we kind of review some of these controversial players like Pete Rose, Barry Bonds, Kurt Schilling, who, you know, for one reason or another are discluded from record books, discluded from the Hall of Fame, and we'll kind of break it down and, and why, why they're not there, what may happen in the future. Yeah, and, and that's going to be a segment that we're excited to bring you. Uh, but I think with, with that being said, look out for episode three uh, coming next week. And then also please give us any feedback. You know, what did you think about the MVP race? Hall of Fame, is there anyone that didn't get in that you think should get in that, you know, has missed out? What do you think on the Barry Bonds, Kurt Schilling, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Next week, our episode will be coming up on Christmas Eve, Friday, December 4th. Um, hopefully, you guys give us a follow on Spotify. Hopefully, you're still listening. You made it this far in the episode. Follow us on Twitter at Rounding Third. That's Rounding Number Three, RD Now, Rounding Third Now. Um, we're we're going to be pretty active on there trying to engage our audience, communicate with people, maybe throw some jabs at some players. Uh, It'll be interesting. We hope to, to connect with you guys there. Don't forget to give us a follow and tune in next week on Christmas Eve. Let's keep uh, building the baseball community and building the game we love. Thanks, guys.